It's great to be in God's house with God's people today, especially as we begin a new year. And it's a good time. This, you know, I know a lot of you are maybe you're making New Year's resolutions or you're starting new habits or routines in January. This is a good place to start. It's good to be in God's house with God's people on the weekend, and we encourage you to do that every single week. It's a, it's a great time of year to get refocused. It's a great time of year to get reconnected in our relationship with God. And so as we start 2013 or 2013, whatever you want to call it, as we start this new year, uh, I want to begin with a question which might be one of the most important questions that you get asked this year, and it's this. How is your connection with God? How good is your connection with God these days? How's the communication going? Do you, do you talk to him these days? Do you communicate back and forth with unlimited interruption? Or is there a lot of interference in your relationship these days? In, uh, in cell phone reception terms, if you have one of these and you know you look up at the top, there's those bars that tell you what kind of reception you're getting right, and they kind of go up like this, like a mountain peak. In terms of your relationship with God these days, how many bars do you have? Would you say it's kind of a weak signal, maybe one or two bars, or am I blinding some of you off the sun there? Or is it three or four or five bars? Is it pretty connected? Or do you feel just distant from God today? Do you feel disconnected? Did did, did 2012 or 2012 not end so well for you? Would you say you're kind of in a slump? Or spiritually, would you say you're kind of on a plateau with God, things have just kind of stabilized. How is that connection? Because when you think about it, when you're, when you're choosing a cell phone, when you're choosing a, a, any kind of phone, the, the main thing you want to ask is, does it make and receive calls, right? There's a lot of fancy phones out there today that do all sorts of things. But the most important thing is, can you communicate, right? Can you make and receive calls? calls. Well, I don't know if you heard about this brand new phone that just came out. I'm going to show you a quick clip. This, I'm not endorsing any cell phone company. I just thought this commercial was hilarious and I wanted to share it with you today. So the Wonder Phone just came out and it can do just about everything. Check it out. Cedric, it's Bruce from your old wireless company. Would you switch from U.S. Cellular back to us? We gave you this new Wonder Phone. It does everything. Does it make calls? No, but it can perform CPR, babysit your kids. It's got a pickup line generator. Um, It's got a virtual dog whistle. But does it get good reception where I need it? No, but it tells you if any of your family members are birds. (laughs) I don't know why, but when I saw that the other day... I just busted a gun on the couch. Like, that's the most hilarious thing I've seen in a while. So, if you've ever wondered if any of your family members are birds, get a Wonder Phone, right? But did you hear what the guy said? I just think this is hilarious. Like, the guy's trying to pitch him this brand new phone, and the guy's just sitting there going, does it get good reception, right? That's what any of us would ask, right? Does it make and receive calls? That's the most important thing. It has one big issue. It can't communicate. The reception is not good. And I'm sure some of you that have those cell phones have had those moments where you don't get the reception. I've had a really frustrating week with my phone. I think it's really, really funny that today we're talking about how God wants to communicate with us through the prophets. And on that week, my cell phone gives out. I'm on my third cell phone of this phone and nothing works. It just goes from 4G, this awesome signal, to nothing. Like my conversations with my wife this week have gone, hey, how are, 
I got fight. I would cut. Where are you gonna? Do? Okay, got bye. Just perfect reception, right? That's how our conversations has gone. That's what it's been like this week. It's frustrating when we can't communicate with people around us, even with the wonder phones. But what's even more frustrating and maybe a little bit more serious is not just when we don't have that connection with each other, but when we don't have that intimate, tight, deep connection with the God that created us. And so you think back to that question I asked, how's your connection with God? What kind of reception do you have these days? It Regardless of how you answered, we know one thing for sure. The issue isn't on God's end, right? Now, I've been calling up my phone company a lot this week because I think the issue is on their end, right? But in terms of the bigger picture and communicating with God, we know that the issue is not on his end. He doesn't have an issue with power. He doesn't have an issue with signal strength when it comes to communicating with us. The truth is that we're going to see again today as we look into our story, the issue is not... Is God speaking? The question is not whether God is speaking or not. The question is, are we listening? The question is, well, God's calling. The question is, are you going to pick up? Are you going to answer when he calls? Do you have the reception to receive that communication from God today? And it turns out that's the exact same question that God is asking of his people in chapter 15. And so if you have your story Bibles, let's grab those, and we're going to dive back into the story today. If you don't have a story Bible, if you just have one of the Bibles that's on the end of the rows, I want to encourage you, would love to have every single person with a Bible on their lap, because we're going to be digging through some scriptures today. We're going to be in the book of Hosea, chapter 4. Hosea is in the Old Testament, and we're going to get there uh, in just a little bit. So we've had a little break these last few weeks to celebrate this little thing called Christmas. Well, not a little thing. A big deal called Christmas, and we took a break from the story, and now we're back into it. And so hopefully you've caught up, you've been reading along. We are in chapter 15, which is called God's Messengers. And so we're going to actually go back in time, so I don't want you to be confused. Remember, the baby was born, right? So now we're going to go back in time, we're going to get in our time machine, and back a few hundred years before... Jesus was born back into the Old Testament to this group of people known as the prophets. And as you've been following the story, we've been been following God's people, the Israelites. And after uh, years of, of bad kings, remember we had King Saul and King David and all these kings, they had 38 kings, 38 kings. And by, uh, all measures, uh, most people would say that only five of them were good kings, Only five of them had this good connection, this signal with God. Isn't that crazy? That's not a very good uh, ratio. Five out of 38, not good, between these two kingdoms. And so where we left off our story last week with Pastor Laura, she said that the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had been split into two. And I think we have a map up on the north, you see, is the northern kingdom of Israel, and on the south is the southern kingdom of Judah. And so God splits his people in two. And so now we have these two kingdoms, but of course that was never the intention. God's people have been rebelling. They've been wandering away. They've been running away from God, which was never the point. The point was that this would be one strong, united nation of God's people. God God chose this people to be much like he calls us to be, to be an example, to be a light 
to the world around them and to demonstrate to all the other nations around them how great it is to be in relationship with God. But that's, they, they threw it away. The, the, the key to the, the whole thing, the key to the whole Old Testament, the key to the Israelite success is the relationship with God. And when they're connected, when the reception is good between them and God, things go great. They prosper. They, they conquer other armies. They, they conquer land. They win great battles. They, they, they build the temple. And they're, they're in great community with God. But then when they rebel, when they turn away, they, they stop following the Ten Commandments and they start uh, hating each other instead of loving each other. They start worshiping foreign gods and foreign idols and then the signal strength gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And at the point that we're at today when we introduce this group of people known as the prophets, there's no signal. You ever seen that on your phone where it just says, no connection? That's kind of where we're at in the story today. Not only are God's people not answering when God calls them, they don't even have reception. They're just completely ignoring him. They've forgotten. They've abandoned their God. But God doesn't just let his people wander away. He, he calls out to them through this group of people known as the prophets. And I was trying to think of an example of what this would look like. And this is the best example I could think of. And so I'm going to give the rest of the sermon in this megaphone. I'm kidding. That would be awesome. Uh, so, but this is the best way that I can think of. If you think, if you think of it, when you, we look at this group of people known as the prophets, which you heard this story about Elijah today, we're going to hear about Amos and, and Hosea. Uh, we had Elijah, not to be confused with Elisha, his long-lost stepbrother. Um, but... Uh, these people are known as the prophets. And when you think about it, the best way to describe them is a megaphone. When you think about it, can this megaphone send messages by itself? If I just set it on the floor, will it start communicating? No, right? It needs a communicator. It needs a sender, me. And it needs a receiver, you. Okay? This can do nothing by itself. And that's essentially what the prophets were. And that's why as hopefully you're reading along and you're going to read through some of these prophets this next week in the story, you'll hear this phrase over and over again, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord has come to you. This is God's word for you. You're going to see these phrases over and over again, and that's the prophets, which is the megaphone, communicating the message of God, the sender, to all of us, his people. That is the role of the prophets. And so that's why you'll hear many times the prophets, they're not speaking by themselves. Elijah's not making this stuff up. Hosea's not making this stuff up. It's God's word. And when you think about it, I think the megaphone is another good example because God is desperately trying to get his people's attention. When you read the prophets, the, the scenario that we see is not God saying, um, hey, you guys, I, I got a little suggestion for you. I was... You know, I was wondering if maybe you could just stop sinning and just kind of come on back. We, we had this really good connection once, and I, I was just maybe wondering if, if you feel like it. Um, if you guys would maybe uh, stop worshiping those idols and just kind of just come on. You, I mean, if it works for you, just kind of come on. That is not the story of the prophets, okay? It goes something like this. Thus saith the Lord, turn and repent from your sins. I never thought I would do that at a sermon. <laughs> That was awesome. (laughs) 
This is about as close as you're going to get to turn or burn at Hope Des Moines ever. <laughs> turn from your sins. I might go downtown after this, right? Anybody want, <laughs> does anybody want to come with? Come to the core class, Sundays, 6 o'clock. All right. Enough with that. I'm going to get carried away. But that's the story of the prophets, and that's where we pick up our story today. God is calling out to his people, and it's not a polite little suggestion. God is pleading with them, and that's where we pick it up in the book of Hosea today. And so uh, I'm going to read. uh, This is on the bottom of page 215 if you're following along in the story. So remember, this is God's words through Hosea. So Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. Now listen to this. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing and adultery, They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. Now listen to this. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Well, that's a great way to start off the new year, isn't it? That's pretty cheery. And you you would think with a, a warning as serious as that, that God's people would say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's intimidating enough, this random preacher with a megaphone up here. The God of the universe is calling out to them. And you would think they'd be, oh, yeah, right away, God, we're coming back to you. But their ears had grown so deaf and their hearts had grown so calloused to God that we even hear this, um, they don't even acknowledge God. The God that's been with them this whole time, they've just kind of forgotten about him. And you might think, as you're reading through these prophets, it might, this idea might pop into your head, wow, God is a grouch. The God of the Old Testament just seems like he's angry all the time. Like he's, he's Ebenezer Scrooge all year round. Bah humbug, right? I hate my people. You could get that impression if you would think that this is the first rodeo for God and his people. By the time we get to this point in the story, God has been pleading with his people for over 200 years. Please, please stop what you're doing and obey me. And some of you parents with young kids know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Please stop what you're doing and obey me. And it seems like you've been telling them that for 200 years, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you that had kids remember those days. And yet they refused to listen. Now, if you're God and nothing is working and nothing's getting their attention, no, no matter how loud you yell on your blowhorn, they're not listening. God's people have turned their backs on you. What do you do? You can't communicate louder. You can't get the, even the biggest megaphone in the world. What do you do? If you've ever doubted or wondered about the measures that God has taken to win us back, read the prophets. In fact, check out what he is going to ask the prophet Hosea to do. So Hosea is a real guy. It's not some writer's name or something like that, but a book of the Bible. Hosea is just a normal, ordinary guy. And the words that God used in 
this passage or for a reason. Do you remember at the end of that passage, it says, a spirit of prostitution is in their heart? That's a strong word. That's a pretty sensitive word, isn't it? It's a pretty scandalous word. And so God says, well, I'm going to tell a story through my people, a real story, not a fake story. So a spirit of prostitution, well, what does that mean? It means that God is comparing Israel, his people. So Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom, Israel. God is comparing them. Remember, we're his bride and God is the groom. He's comparing us, his bride, to a promiscuous woman who's run away to hundreds of different lovers or foreign gods. And that's the story of the prophets. You're a prostitute. Did you learn that in Sunday school? Probably not. I never, you know, can we talk about this in church? It's in the Bible, folks. We got we to read the Old Testament. We got to read how wild of a lover God is. I love what C.S. Lewis says once speaking about Aslan the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia, one of, the young, uh, one of the young children asks about Aslan, who's kind of portraying the image of God, and they ask, safe? Well, is he safe? And one of the talking beavers, a prophet himself, responds, safe? Who said, any, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. That's the God of the Old Testament, calling his people prostitutes? This is how serious God is taking their sin. God says, this is how deep my heart aches like a wounded lover. And so watch what God does. This is not in the story Bible, but it's in the book of Hosea. So if you want to write that down or turn there in your Bibles that are in the rows, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. This is the very beginning of Hosea's story. And it says this, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, okay, God speaking to an ordinary person just like you or I, God says, here's what I want you to do. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Is that the God that you remember learning about? I want you to go marry this prostitute and have kids with her and that'll be a demonstration to all the other people of what my relationship with you has turned into. What? This isn't safe. This wasn't on the flannel graph in Sunday school. What kind of a God are we dealing with here? One one who, who loves you desperately. How would you like to be Hosea, right? He's gotta be thinking, God, why me, right? Of all people. I'd rather be the Jonah guy that gets to hang out in the whale for a while, right? This is a tough assignment. Hosea says, God, I I think you've gone a little bit too far, don't you think? And God says, actually, no, that I know exactly what I'm doing because this is how serious your sin is. You see, if the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's that God's view of sin sometimes is very different from ours. Sometimes we think that sin is like, Oh, a little slap on the wrist. I'll try harder next time. Or we think that God is angry with us all the time. But neither of those are true. The God that we see in the Old Testament, he's angry, but he's good. But he's faithful. And he's always, 
always providing us a way back to him. And it's in these deep, this deep gut-wrenching separation that I believe that we see the true heart of God come out. God didn't create robots that he could just program and then we would say, God, I love you. That's not what God did. God created us with hearts and and souls and minds and and reason and the ability to love or to reject him in return with, with deep affection and hearts. He didn't create you to just be a religious person. He didn't create you just to be a churchy person. He created you to be his lover. Wow. Think about that. And I don't mean in some like cheesy, sappy Hollywood sort of way. I mean in a pure and holy, passionate, wild way. The same way that any of us would feel about the person in this world that you love the most. Think about that right now. Who is that person? That maybe you would give your life for them. Who is that person that you love the most? Well, I can't think of any better illustration. Well, then, our good friend, Forrest. And, of course, his gal, Jenny, right? Now, there's a couple different ways, if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, which I'm sure many of you have, there's a couple different ways to see this movie. Some of you would say, oh, I know Forrest Gump. That's that great Tom Hanks movie where we get this awesome portrait of American history from, like, the 50s up to, you know, the 90s, modern day, whenever it was made, right? And that's one way to look at Forrest Gump, And yet, if you look a little bit deeper, I think what we find in this movie is a modern-day parable of the book of Hosea. Think about it. You have Forrest, the wild lover, the faithful lover, who from the moment he set eyes on Jenny or Jenny, he's been in love with her, right? And what is the whole movie about? Not just American history. Jenny goes this way. Jenny goes that way. Jenny runs away there. Jenny runs away there. Jenny does, tries to find life in drugs. Jenny tries to find life in sex. Jenny tries to find love in material possessions, all the, in other men, all these other things. Does that remind you of anything? Of a God who says you've run off to all these other lovers and that's where we find Jenny and Forrest, and here comes Forrest again in this first clip I want to show you, pursuing again. Jenny has run away, and they have this quick little conversation, and pay attention, and see if you can see in Forrest the heart of God for you. Let's take a look. Just in that short clip, that's basically the whole movie right there. She thinks he doesn't know what love is when really he's the one that truly knows what love is. When you are in love with someone and you are committed to them, you will never stop pursuing them. That little short clip, there's 15 other clips in the movie just like that. And I love that when she says to Forrest, you don't even know what love is. And God responds to all of us today saying, oh yes, I do. Oh yes, I do. It's who I am. I can't help but love you. And so, as the story of Hosea continues, this promiscuous woman that Hosea ends up marrying, her name is Gomer, so if any of you are looking for female names, Gomer is available to you. Um, (laughs) Gomer, just like Jenny, does what promiscuous women do, and they run to all these other lovers but 
Hosea. And I'm sure it's just ripping Hosea's apart, uh, heart apart every single time. And yet God goes one step further. This is in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Hosea says this, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, meaning Gomer. Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And then let's read this last part of verse 3 up on the screens. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. (laughs) And so Forrest says to Jenny, but you're my gal. I can't help but love you. And God says to you today, you're my daughter. You're my son. Of course I'm going to love you no matter what. Of course I'm going to accept you just as you are today. And yet I refuse to leave you that way. Forrest didn't let Jenny just run off. He kept after her. He kept pursuing her. You, you do know that, don't you? <laughs> that no matter where you're at today, that God hasn't given up on you. You do know that this story isn't just about Hosea and Gomer, it's about God and you. Maybe you're feeling more than just a little disconnected today. Maybe it's more than just a cell phone signal. Maybe you're saying, I've lost that connection with God that I once had. Maybe you've grown complacent or lazy. Maybe you're just convinced that God is distant because of a mistake that you've made in the past and he's just ignoring you or, or you've had unanswered prayers for so long. And God says to you today, I haven't stopped loving you. <laughs> I haven't stopped loving you even when you ignore me. Even when your schedule, when you think you're too busy for me. Even if the Bible's been on the shelf for a couple months, even if that prayer life thing just isn't working, even if you're overwhelmed today by all of life's demands, Forrest says to Jenny, you're my gal. And God says to you, you're my child. And I will always come after you. In fact, I believe that it doesn't end with this story today. The the story that we read today is is our story, and God is still calling us back to him, not only from our sin, but from the ways that we've turned away from him, and also back to his mission. God gave the Israelites a mission, and they had wandered so far from that. And I think sometimes we do as well, not only as individuals, but as the church. Sometimes we we lose our way, and, and just like the Israelites, it's easy to forget why we're here. What, what our purpose is, why we gather each week, why we're here in Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium for an hour on a Sunday morning. Why are we here? What's the purpose behind what we do? And so at the beginning of a new year, just as God is calling his people back to himself, I think that God's calling us as his church back to himself, back to his heart, back to mission, back to the heart of who we are as Lutheran Church of Hope. And there's a couple things that we use to say this, and it's our mission and our vision. It's the heart of hope. If you think about it, what, what a, a, an organization or a company or a church has a mission or a vision, what's that all about? Well, if you imagine, I'm on one side of the street and I need to cross to the other side. My mission is what I'm doing. My mission is to cross the street. The vision is what I hope to happen when I carry out my mission, and so my vision is to get to the other side. 
The mission is to cross the street. The vision is to get to the other side. And so we have a mission as Lutheran Church of Hope. But instead of putting it up on the screen, we've talked about this quite a bit recently. And so I'm going to turn the tables a little bit today and quiz you. So what I want you to do as we're getting refocused for a new year, I want you to turn about three or four people around you right now and see if you can work together and see if anybody knows, word for word, the mission statement of Lutheran Church of Hope. Just take a minute. Ready? Go. What's our mission? Just talk about it. I'm looking for it word for word, not just a general idea, word for word. And don't look at your bulletins. Don't cheat. Don't use your smartphone. There's no phone a friend option here. Okay, does anybody want to give it a shot? Let's, let's, take, let's take a couple, okay, if you think you've got it. Who wants to just yell it out? Wow, look at this guy. Give him a round of applause. That's pretty dang close. Pretty dang close. Go ahead and throw it up on the screen, and let's read this uh, together. So he, he actually had it. That was great. So let's read this together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And so maybe if you were kind of going, uh, I don't know it, it would be a good time to review what our mission is. Much like the nation of Israel, we don't exist for ourselves, right? But to share God's love with those around us. And sometimes we think of that very generically. And when you think, oh, our mission is to reach out to the world, yada, 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 but it's really just for the missionaries in Africa, right? This mission statement is for you to reach out to the world around you, for your neighbors who might be skeptical of church, for your coworker who might be struggling through a tough divorce, for that empty chair that's waiting to be filled at your life group, for that person in your life that needs to experience the sense of community and joy that you feel here every single week. Who are those people? So we reach out to them, and then what do we do? We share with them what? Good ideas? Happiness? No, God's love, God's everlasting love, the kind of love that has changed many of your lives, the kind of love that has freed many of you from addictions, the kind of love that has brought a lot of marriages and families back together, the kind of love that has rescued a lot of you from the darkness of depression in your lives, the kind of love that has given many of you, I know, a reason and a purpose to get out of bed each morning. Because you have a purpose in life that's greater than yourself to share God's love with those around you. And when we do that, we accomplish our vision, what we hope to accomplish. And that's this, and let's read this together. When we carry out our mission, we accomplish our vision, which is to be a spirited, growing, Christ-centered community filled with hope. When we're at our best, Hope Des Moines, that's what we look like. When we're at our best. When we're loving. And it's that last part I want to talk about, that Christ-centered part. That comes from John 13, where Jesus says to all of us, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. At the end of the day, it really speaks to our motive. Why do we exist as a church, why we do what we do to be Christ-centered, to be loved and to be loving. It's about rooting everything that we do as a church in God's love and his grace. And so if you ever feel like you don't want to love, if you ever feel like not serving, 
If you ever feel disconnected, if you ever feel dried up, if you ever feel far away from God, where do you start? His love. Not by mustering it up, not by trying harder. You start with his love for you. You you let him fill you up again. That's what he's crying out to Israel and Judah. Let me fill you up so I can overflow onto you and the nations around you. And a good way to view that is, well, a two-liter. It's prop day today at Hope Des Moines. And I think if we're honest, we're a lot like Israel and Judah. We too need God to come once in a while and maybe here in this new year to come and shake us up a little bit. We need God to come and and stir up his spirit in us once again. And for every single one of you, this is going to look differently. It's not just about God's people in the Old Testament. It's about you right here today. Every single one of us at various times in our lives need God's to come back and stir us up and shake us up. That's what we need. And for some of you, to be honest, what you need stirred up in you is that passion and that motivation to make worship a priority every single week. That you're not just coming here to put in your time, but because you were created for worship and you were created for community. Not to sit at home and just find it on Facebook or in some online chat room. You were created to be here live and in person. To be the church, to be connected with each other. And God needs to come and shake you up today. For some of you, it's this Christianity is still a one day a week thing. And you're here and you do your time on Sunday, but the other six days of the week don't have anything to do with what we talk about here. And maybe today, maybe this year, 2013, God needs to come and shake it up a little bit. Maybe for you, you've, some of you have been on this journey of faith for a long time. And yet when asked about how close you feel to God or when, when your last time you felt close to God was, what well, was that mission trip from about eight years ago? It was that Christian concert I went to about five years ago. It was that sermon I heard two years ago. And that's the last encounter that you had with God. God says, I want to come and stir it up again in you today. I want to shake it up. Today, folks, today is the day of your salvation. And God says, today, I want you to have a fresh encounter with the living God, not just to the Israelites, but to you. What if January was the time to shake things up, to get reconnected, to get filled up by God again? And where does it start? Folks, not with a list of resolutions and I'm going to do this better, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. That's not what following God is all about. It starts with him and it starts with his love for you. Because when God gets a hold of your life and he starts to shake you up a little bit, well, you can't help but overflow. Frank, would you want to open that for me? No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll do it though. Okay, you ready? Sometimes God just needs to come and, sh- and shake us up a little bit, right? We need a live demonstration. Okay, you ready? It's flat. It doesn't work when it's water, folks, right? But it does work 
when it's zero calorie Sierra Mist. And sometimes God just needs to come and shake us up a little bit. And maybe for you this year, it's worship or it's serving or it's a life group or it's going to the core class or it's making a priority to serve your brothers and sisters here at church. Maybe it's walking through those doors and not saying, oh, what can I get out of it today? God says, I want you to come in and say, who can I love today? Who can I bless today? And God says, I want to stir it up to you so that as Jesus says in the New Testament, you become a fountain, a wellspring of life that is overflowing. All right, you ready? Let's do it for real. I'm kidding. I won't do it. That's God's call for us today to start with his love for you, to return to his love for you. This is how the book of Hosea ends. Hosea chapter 14, verse 1. It's up on the screen. Let's just read that top part together. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Come back to me. Come back to me and then watch how God responds. I love this. God says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful image. Returning to the one that loves you freely, without reservation, without qualification. And nobody knows what that experience is like than our good friends, Forrest and Jenny. And right in the middle of this movie, there's this moment that I think captures God's heart in the book of Hosea for two lovers to finally be reunited. Let's take a look. In that moment, Forrest didn't care where Jenny had been or what Jenny had done. The only thing that mattered was that he loved her. And they were back together. God says to you at the start of this year, let's get reconnected. Let's stand together. So today we get to connect with Jesus in a pretty powerful way through receiving his body and blood through the bread and through the wine. And as we reflect on his amazing love for us, let's just pause for a second and be still this morning and clear out all the other distractions and all the other items on your agenda for today and your to-do list. And let's listen to this God who says, return to me. Return to me today. Let him speak his love over you this morning.